Welcome everyone to episode 10 of the I Am Ready podcast, where we interview local rock stars and talk about all things related to economic development. I am your host today, Lisa Driscoll-Hoxby, Business Development Specialist with Ready. My esteemed co-host is out of the office today, and so I've already apologized to our guest to uh, say that I'm sorry that he has to suffer me alone, but um, Jay will be back with us shortly, and um, I'm sure everybody else will be just as excited as I am for that. And so we are so excited today to have Dr. Jeff Lashley, president of MACC, Moberly Area Community College, with us. Um, not only is he a rock star in the local community, but is a huge piece of um of influence here at Ready as we look at the landscape of economic vitality and certainly uh, education is a big part of that. So welcome, Dr. Lashley. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, following quite an esteemed group that you all have been interviewing, so I feel honored just to be among them. Well, we certainly have had a good time. Yeah. And so um, our objective with this podcast is to just kind of dig a little bit deeper to talk about some things that maybe um, the little one liners don't catch. You know, we are a society where we just like the soundbite. And so we're going to try to get a little deeper about um, your journey, your professional journey, as well as um, how what you do now integrates into economic development and a few things in between. And so I was really interested to learn that you are the first MACC executive who is a, a previous student. And so you started your college journey there. I did. And um, I probably was similar to what a lot of high school students are like, even though both of my parents were college graduates. So I was far from being a first generation student. I didn't have a clear plan on what I wanted to do after high school. And so I was grew up in Moberly and was living in Moberly. And so it just was very convenient and an, and an easy choice for me to make to go to MACC. Um, it had always been a part of my life anyway because we have basketball programs in Moberly that are a big deal in Moberly and, and, and nationally uh, successful programs. So from the time I was a sixth grader when we moved to Moberly, I would and back then there was not a lot of stuff to do, you know, it's different than today. So going to the basketball games was a great uh, social event and all my friends uh, went to the games and so that's where you would be. Uh, and then my best friend growing up, his dad was the dean of students at MACC. So we kind of got special access to get to go into the gym and play basketball and do things. So MACC had always been a part of, of my life growing up. So it made sense to me to go there. That's fantastic. Now, was it there or later on where you decided you were just going to all in on the schooling because it is no small task to earn your Ph.D.? Right. Um, you know, everything kind of evolved. I didn't certainly did not have a master plan at all. Um, I, I, I assumed I would go on beyond MACC, and that's what my friends were doing. You know, uh, again, uh, your peers have a lot to do with it. And the friend that I just mentioned, he was at MACC as well. And when we finished, we transferred to then Northeast Missouri State together and were roommates and, and, and went along the way. Um, probably graduate school became something I was really interested in as I was finishing my bachelor's degree. Uh, my first career was actually as a mental health provider. And so I had applied for an internship at an agency up there that was an outpatient 
a residential facility actually for substance abuse. Um, and I got hired there right as I finished my bachelor's degree and thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I should continue. And so there was a master's degree in counseling at Northeast, which I applied for. So I completed my master's degree uh, to continue work in that field. And at that point, I, I thought that would be my career long term. So I went on to Iowa State University where I got my PhD in marriage and family therapy. And um, that was my first career. So I was pretty much a full-time clinician uh, for the first 10 years after I graduated with my bachelor's degree. So I think probably a lot of folks would not know that you're a licensed marriage and family therapist. And um, I think that that is something that probably, there are probably lots of nuggets from that professional life that you have transferred over and have actually been super helpful to you in your role now. And so um, talk to us a little bit about sure. what those things are that you think were really great transferable because I think a lot of people get into something and they're going in one direction and, um, and it used to be that where you started with your career is where you finished and yeah. that's not lo no longer really the case. And so I think folks would be interested to hear how the skills serve you well regardless of your um, actual industry. Sure. Well, in, in addition to the marriage and family therapy therapist, I'm a licensed professional counselor too. So they're kind of different um, in terms of how you approach working with, with people. So I had the advantage of two different, um, I guess, theoretical bases to work on. And then <clears throat> had the for, was fortunate enough to work in a lot of different settings. So um, I came to the conclusion, and a lot of people share this, that I think a lot of people are armchair uh, mental health professionals. Not, and I don't mean that in a bad way, not like the armchair uh, quarterback that's criticizing everyone, but that they're just naturals. And, you know, those are the people that, that uh, people flock to because they want to talk to them about their problems and then they feel better, even though they haven't just talked to anybody who's really a mental health professional. And I think I'm kind of wired that way. So it fit well for me to go down this path. And um, it's not that I left it because I was dissatisfied with it. What happened um, was the full-time faculty position at MACC for psychology came open. Mm -hmm. So I applied for that and was able to get that job. So I became a full-time faculty member at that point at MACC and had a private practice that I continued to use. Um, over the course of time, obviously, I switched out of my faculty role and went through some other roles until I got to the one I'm in now. And... Um, I haven't answered your question yet, though. So the answer to your question is, yeah, I think the skill set is transferable, and I use it all the time, um, regardless of the situation I'm in or who I'm working with. And I don't think it's unique to people who have had the kind of training I got. I think there's a whole bunch of people in this world who are just kind of natural-born, good communicators, good listeners, uh, good at nurturing and managing relationships, that would have been great therapists if they had ever chosen to go that path. So it, it is, it's a skill set. What you get with your training is just more of the technical information about, you know, um, different kinds of challenges people may be facing and different ways to maybe help them along the way that are, you know, based in the practice that may not, everyone may not have. But there are a lot of good natural therapists in the world. I would agree. I would agree to that. Um, there's a lot to be said for those help, just natural helpers yeah. that kind of help us all along our path. I would say a lot of the people you've been interviewing probably fit that mold. 
I would you've totally been having agree on your podcast. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And part of why they're great community leaders is because they look at it from that helpful perspective. Yeah. Um, they care and they want to make our community a better place. And so, um, talk to me a little bit about what it looks like to be the president of a of a, an innovative academic institution. Because certainly, we, and we'll get into a little bit of um, some of the, the projects and the programs that you have been the innovator for, but certainly you felt that um, there was, if, not, or if the innovation wasn't already happening, a good um, foundation for that to happen. And so what made you say, I think that you know, I could be the one to lead MACC and that's a role that I want to do? Okay, well, <clears throat> I feel really fortunate because MACC has been really good to me, starting as a student, then as a faculty member. And then, for whatever reason, the president at that time saw me as somebody to maybe bring into leadership. So uh, I was able to move into the position of being dean, and then from there, the chief academic officer, and then from there into my job now as president. So I'm finishing my 27th year at MACC. Um, I think I am really fortunate to work for an institution that's got so many great people. I agree that we're innovative. I agree that I think we've done a good job of meeting the needs of our service region as best we can. Um, and I think I get far too much credit for that because it's, it's really, it's a whole big group of people working hard um, from the staff to the faculty um, and our trustees, our board who supports us. One of the things I learned when I moved from a faculty position into an administrative position is how important the staff are to the backbone of a college to make it work. I didn't have the kind of appreciation that I am, that I do for staff now. Uh, you, you don't survive without your advisors and your financial aid experts and the people who keep your facilities looking in great shape um, and all of those kinds of things. So um, I, I just feel very lucky and fortunate that I had the chance to, to serve in this role. And again, I think I evolved into it and maybe had some traits that made me well suited for it but when it comes to making big decisions because we have five campuses so we serve 16 counties so of course we have our campus here in columbia we have a campus in moberly a campus in kirksville a campus in mexico and a campus in hannibal and every campus is different every community is different um, so it's just really important to have the right people running those different campuses and programs and doing the oversight so um, I, I've just been fortunate to be in the position I am with MACC and, and to really have good people that surround me um, that, that really carry the load. I think that is the ticket for anything that's successful. Um, certainly you have to have that strong leader that has the vision and is able to encourage folks along the way, but you certainly have to have that team that's willing to turn that vision into reality. So speaking of um, folks that are in different positions, what would you, what is the piece of advice that you would say you're, there's a young professional, somebody just getting started in whatever their chosen career is going to be for that time. And, um, we want to talk about and we want to focus on their um, community involvement. What do you tell them about you know, their pathway to success as far as looking beyond just the hours that they put in from eight to five and then going home and doing their own things at home? Okay. Well, obviously one thing that I would always tell them to focus on is themselves and their families to keep that priority straight because 
that's got to be a healthy situation um, regardless or your satisfaction quality of life is not what you want it to be. So we'll assume that their family life's going well and they're giving enough attention there that they can. Then I, I like to encourage our people to feel like working and reaching out to the community is a part of their job and is a great way to develop as a professional. Um, you know, community is in our name, Overly Area Community College. So the community is who we're here for, that's who we serve. And <clears throat> I guess when I reflect upon myself, um, I remember one of the very first boards that I served on, how intimidated I was going to that first board meeting thinking, I don't belong here with these people. They're all accomplished and I'm just a new person on the block without very much experience. And quickly realized nobody in the room felt that way. They were glad to have me there. And I quickly gained confidence in that setting. Um, so from then on, I've always found uh, serving on boards and working with community projects has been a great way for me to grow as a professional, but it's also been really good for whatever organization I was working with because it connected me to the community that would help um, me to go back to my employer and, and make things better or to partnership, you know, partnerships, pathways is what I think of now. So certainly um, I would encourage any uh, young professional to look for ways to engage in things outside of their immediate work that may or may not be related because board service doesn't necessarily have to be in your particular uh, discipline or industry and you still gain a lot from it. And my experience has been most uh, supervisors, most companies encourage that kind of behavior because they know it strengthens and broadens the perspective of their employees. So it's, it's just a great way to meet people as well and to build a network. Uh, when I started as the president of MACC 10 years ago, I knew Columbia and I knew people in Columbia, but I had not worked in Columbia a great deal. And I remember some of the first meetings I would go to sitting in a room and not knowing hardly a soul in the room. And today, because of a lot of board work, um, I run into people all the time that I know and I think I've met so many people and developed so many relationships through board work like with Ready. Well, and such a, like you said, a win-win opportunity, not just for um, the individual and their own professional development and growth, but certainly for the organization. And so, um, yes, we are very lucky to have um, you in particular, but such a strong um, education focus uh, serving uh, in the ex officio capacity of our board. Mm -hmm. And that is clearly because economic vitality has a key component and that is education and so we know that education prepares folks for good jobs we know that in order to retain folks in communities they have to feel like that their family has good opportunities for education for their children so on and so forth and so um, tell us a little bit about um, your involvement how you initially got involved with ready and maybe some of the things that you like the most about um, what we're doing and especially any collaborations that are okay. going on. Well, that's an easy one because there's lots of, lots of examples I can draw from. I'll back up one step before Ready. When I, when I first um, started working as an administrator um, at MACC, I got my first exposure to economic development by serving on the economic development group in Moberly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really did not know a thing. And uh, again, it was a great board, a, a group of people that were very interested in new members, feeling comfortable and learning. So I learned a lot in that spot. 
Um, and then as I got into this role and became more regional in my approach to things, uh, Ready really did something that impacted MACC in a big way and I think this community in a big way. So we got a call from uh, Bernie mm -hmm. and, and it was something along the lines of we're talking to industry here in Columbia and they have a need for um, an employee, a technician that doesn't exist. And so is there something that we could put together to see if there'd be some kind of training program that you all could, could uh, develop for, for, this, for these industries? So Ready was the convener and then Ready brought uh, the Career Center, Public, uh, Columbia Public Schools, to the table. And they brought us to the table. Um, and then they brought the industry partners to the table. And this one was, it was kind of sparked by 3M. So I remember the very first meeting that we had um, that eventually became what is now our mechatronics program. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly Ready gets uh, a lot of uh, credit for being a catalyst there because they were connected, Bernie was connected to the industry partners here, you know, who look who look to ready to do things that need to be done for them, whether it be in creating a workforce, which is, you know, central to our existence. So from that first meeting, um, we started to develop this program and what the way we did it is the, the industry folks said to us, this is what we need. Uh, as opposed to, well, here's the program we have. Why don't you take this program and hire our graduates? So we didn't do that. We didn't have a mechatronics program, but we had some programs that maybe had pieces of what eventually became the curriculum. So over the course of, of about a year, uh, we developed this whole program and got all the approvals that you have to get and launched it. And um, 3M Company was there at the beginning with a grant that helped us to buy some of our first pieces of equipment. And I know you know this because I know mm -hmm. you've been on our campus. From those kind of humble beginnings, now our mechatronics program, you know, takes up a, a huge percentage of our space at our Columbia campus in our lower level and have got, you know, five big classrooms and labs full of literally millions of dollars of equipment. And uh, we have full classes that go through that program uh, all the time, and some of my favorite stories about some of our graduates come straight from our mechatronics program. Absolutely. I think it's just another um, opportunity for us to think outside the box of what's traditional in the sense that um, obviously being in a college town um, and having um, gems such as the University of Missouri Stevens, Columbia College, you know, we often, I think, um, with the best of intentions, get one track. Yeah. And when we um, lose sight that, especially with the growing workforce um, issues that we are facing, that there are a lot of paths to prosperity and there are a variety of gifts and talents that we need to capitalize on them. And to be able to then look to industry and have them inform only makes us stronger as a community because if the local community, the local industry can say, this is what we need and we can create programming around that, then we have a really great opportunity to keep rock stars in our community that are going to be with companies for a very long time and um, our folks that maybe um, from first blush we would have said we're not sure what to do with because they don't fall into that traditional two or four year right. degree program. Right. And, and we have advisory councils with what we think of as our 
career and technical programs that help us to keep the curriculum current. Um, they're hiring our, our students, they're hiring our graduates, <clears throat> so they know how they're doing, they know how prepared they are. And the, the director of our mechatronics program will famously always say, I've not taught the same curriculum two semesters in a row because I'm always getting feedback from the advisory council on how they may want something to change. And that's what we do because we respond to that. Um, you know, the, I think we do a lot of things at MACC that, that sometimes people are not aware of. Uh, the, the other kinds of uh, career and technical programs we have. So across our service region, we have nine nursing programs. We have practical nursing programs, and then we have, so that's a practical nurse PN, and then we have the ADN nurse, which is an RN. And an RN scope of practice is the same regardless of what their degree might be. And over the course of, during the last 10 years, through partnerships with Columbia Public Schools, we absorbed their practical nursing program into our uh, campus and then we created an accelerated associate degree nursing program here in Columbia that we just opened up um, we're in our second year now so that's for a practical nurse to become an RN in one year so in two years the, the student can become an RN here and then we had and then we took the surgical technology program that um, CPS had that they were no longer going to continue Got that accredited, we still offer that. And then here we also have occupational therapy assistant. We have medical laboratory assistant. So we have a lot of healthcare, we call health sciences programs throughout our service region, but quite a bit right here in Columbia. And we just had our pinning for our ADNs. Um, that's a different program, but it, it results in an RN. We had that pinning on Friday. And it's one of my favorite things to do because you get to see these students when they've completed a really tough, rigorous program and, and they get to do their video of what they're gonna do. And nearly all of them have already had jobs here in Columbia at one of the Columbia hospitals. That's fantastic. That's absolutely Before they'd walk the stage. I love it, I love it. And um, we were, have been, we have visited before because I'm fascinated um, by all the, the programs and um, one of the programs that I know that you all do, I believe it's a vet tech program, yeah. and part of what you do is, part of that being resourceful and innovative is, maybe you can't offer all of the lab or the, the hands-on pieces at all the campuses at all the times, but you really try to create an environment that if someone does want to pursue something, they are able to do that fully. And so tell us a little bit about that program. Well, thank you, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that happened with us a long time ago, because we're spread out and we're in 16 counties, we were doing virtual education before virtual education was saving everybody during COVID. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we had a pretty good handle on it. And all those nursing programs I just told you about, they're, they're the, there's a part of them that are virtual. But regardless, you asked me about vet tech, so that's where I'll go. Our vet tech program, uh, we just graduated our first class Thursday night. Mm -hmm. And when we developed that program, uh, we knew it was going to be something that it would be a challenge to have students be there full time because of the type of student that wants to do this program is already working for a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we created the curriculum in a way that it's, it's uh, live virtual and it's also asynchronous, which means you do it and nobody else is there. It's mm -hmm. kind of what people think of as traditional online courses. So for one day a week, the students show up at our Mexico campus because that's where our our um, our 
offices and we have everything you know we've got a, a surgery suite um, everything that you would have at a vet's office everything they need to train and they come in on Thursdays and Thursdays are their clinical days so in year one they're on our Mexico campus and they're doing their clinicals um, and it's really state-of-the-art it's a great uh, facility we were able to use what was called a gear excels program from the this is one of Dr. Um, Governor Parsons um, uh, programs that's how we funded and, and built that wing. And then the second year, they spend their time here in Columbia at the hospital, at the veterinary school here. So they get all that clinical experience and, and they're ready to go. And our program's accredited, so when they're done, they can sit for a credential, which they're able to get. And then that helps um, them to, to show that they're trained properly, can be more transferable moving from one office to another. And probably it, it gives them a scope of practice that's greater than if they didn't have that kind of a um, credential. And so it's a good example because of, of our current, or of our class that just graduated, only one of those students lived in Audrain County. So everybody else was doing it from a distance. And you just gotta make it where you can drive in on Thursdays. I love it. I love the opportunity for, um someone to have a passion for something and instead of it being you can't because it is let's try it so you can yeah. and I think education has been um, moving in that direction for a long time I um, had my initial bachelor's degree and then went back several years later um, to get my teaching certificate and at that time it was very unfriendly to non-traditional students yes. because I needed to work yes. And so I ended up not completing that particular program because we got to the places where I had to have some particular core classes and I just could not rearrange my work schedule to make that happen. And so um, for me to uh, see that there are opportunities for folks and that we're looking at folks from a broad perspective, like you said, most of the folks in this particular program are already working. Yeah. And so how do we figure that out versus this is what we do and this is how we do it and you need to come over here and figure that out. And interestingly enough, the reason why I could not do a lot of the courses was because I was full-time substitute teaching. <laughs> And you can't right. just leave in the middle of, no school is going right. to employ you to do long-term sub if you are not available. Right. And so I think that um, for me, that's been one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning, learning more about MACC is really that lens of, let's step back. We're an academic institution. We know what we're here for. We're taking that very seriously, but we also have to take into, excuse me, into account who our audience is yeah. and that audience as it looks different and grows and times change and needs change we have to do that as well absolutely you got to be student centered student focused our students have lives besides being students it's we have traditional students who are living in our dorm and that's all they're doing is going to school and uh, but we have so many students like you described yourself that if we're not flexible in how we're able to let them access education with us, they couldn't do it. And so it just makes sense. I, you know, I would not recognize MACC if I went back to the first day I got hired as a faculty member and what a faculty member does today and all the things that we do. It's, it's evolved so dramatically and it's going to continue to do so. Um, and, and that's everywhere. And, and you're right, the, the higher education community in Columbia has all uh, you know, really top-notch institutions that do things really well, that are student-focused, and we collaborate and we get along, and, and it's and we've all got our 
areas you know that that we're focused upon and uh, so we really complement I think one another much more than compete with one another I would completely agree and like you said just have focus like um, a lot of folks do not know the impact um, that Columbia College has on the military population I mean there's just so many things there's so many ways to look at things and there's so many different populations to serve that it is really nice I feel like of all places probably in Missouri if you are a person who is a student and you're looking at what makes the most sense for you you have the most choices um, to find that best fit here Um, and a lot of those opportunities are also virtual so that's a that's a really neat thing that I think makes Columbia very special yeah absolutely so we've talked a lot about um, just uh, MACC and your service to the greater community through things like the Board of Ready and things of that nature let's talk a little bit about what might folks not just know about the regular guy, just Jeff Lashley? What does it look like in the very, um, very few minutes in your life that you probably have to be just that regular guy? What are some things that might surprise us about what you like to do in your time off? Okay. Well, I'll preface preface it by saying I really like almost everything I get to do in, in my job as president. And there's a lot of a lot of things and events that happen outside of the regular day that I attend because I want to, because they're a lot of fun. Um, but a, apart from the college, um, of course, I, I, my wife and I will have our 30th wedding anniversary uh, next month in July, so I want to do my best not to forget that. <laughs> Good um, plan. And we have four kids together and grandchildren, and so family time is really important. Um, and we, we just... I don't know. We're our company um, together. We're pretty satisfied. So we'll we'll go down. We have a, a camper set up at a in a permanent spot down Lake of the Ozarks, and we can go down there and hibernate for two days and be really happy campers, mm-hmm. pun intended. <laughs> um, pay a lot of attention to our grandkids and our children. Um, I really am a big fan of of the extracurriculars though at the college, our basketball programs, our softball program, our baseball program. So when we don't have something going on, I miss that a lot. Um, I don't have any problem filling my days. I probably don't do anything that interesting to talk about. <laughs> um, but I, when I have free time, I don't have any problem finding something to do that's fun. Um, probably most people don't know that, well, some people do, but it's becoming less. My dad who was a Methodist minister, pastored a church here in Columbia back in the 80s. So I used to have more people know my dad than know me. Um, my dad's 90 now, and he'll say to me, more people know you than know me now. So <laughs> That's awesome, an awesome legacy. Um, I think it's great to, to just enjoy yourself with your family and your friends, and um, I think that's one of the things that um, – I try to remember because I also have a job that has a lot of great things Mm -hmm. and every once in a while my husband will be like hey I should be one of those great things let's do some things together but I think I say this at one million cups every week if you are bored in Columbia or really in central Missouri that is on you because you can be doing something morning noon and night seven days a week 365 days a year and a variety of things music sports literature, film, food, I mean, you name it, on the gambit, whatever you're interested in, you can find something here. And it's also a really wonderful problem to have, and that's too many choices sometimes. You're right. And 
we're, I'm never bored. And you said something that reminded me. One of the things we like to do is we have a Jeep and take the top off and drive someplace that we haven't been and, and go eat. And, and just try something new and, you know, uh, kind of spread your wings. Because there are so many places, regardless of what direction you head from where your starting point is, you can go find something interesting to do. And so as we wrap up um, every episode, we like to turn it over to our guests. We know we've covered a lot of things, but perhaps there was something that we didn't cover or um, there's something in particular that you would like to share with our audience. So we're going to turn the floor over to you for our okay. last few minutes here. Well, I think we've I think we've covered a lot, and I appreciate this opportunity to be able to do that. Um, I I think I continue to be surprised sometimes when I run into people both ways. I run into people who will tell me about their their family member who had a great experience with us, and that's really rewarding. And then I'll run into the people that'll say, "So I don't know much about MACC here in Columbia. What what do you guys do? Where are you?" And so can be surprised still that, you know, we still have a lot of folks that, that really don't know about us. And we're tremendously interested in first-generation college students. And a first-generation college student is a person who no one in their family has ever gone to college. So college to them is a big mystery. It really is. Getting training beyond after they've left high school is just not something that's happened in their families. So we love the first-generation students to get them in. Uh, show them how accessible higher education is and how affordable it can be. And um, one of the programs that we have done recently that I'm really proud of is our early college with Columbia Public Schools. And at our graduate at our commencement this past Friday, we had 39 uh, CPS students that graduated with their Associate of Arts degree, and they still haven't walked in Columbia yet. But they were there, uh, not all of them, but a, a bunch of them were, and they walked, and and that was really cool to see. And they're debt free. It's completely paid for, and they didn't have to give up any of the benefits of being a high school student if they were in band, if they were in sports, if they were in any club. They got they continued all of those kinds of activities. So that partnership with CPS has been really, really outstanding, and we had approximately the same number of students last year that graduate. So we're getting close to 80 students the last two years. So um, they're heading into their next co collegiate experience um, with a lot of the work done. And uh, I hope to see that program grow. And I know that the, it, Columbia, the school district, I think, does as well. And there's about 165, 170 students in that program the last two years. So they're not all graduating, but they're all leaving with a lot of credit. And I think a lot of them are first-generation students who are learning, oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we really want, really want to see. And then we've opened up our makerspace, which is an open space to the community, uh, that's full of equipment that I'm not even going to try to start to describe, but it's for the makers, it's for the entrepreneurs, it's for the people who have ideas and they need expensive woodworking um, equipment, ex metal shop equipment, um, industrial sewing machines, 3D printers, laser cutters. Uh, that's just part of what's in there. And all that stuff is there and they can come in and they can uh, go through a brief training course to show that they're not going to harm themselves or anybody else <laughs> with getting access to this equipment and then and then they can do what they want they can make things for themselves they can do prototypes it can be something for their business and so the makerspace has got tremendous potential and we're starting to see more and more use of it but it's one of those things again where I bet a lot of the community just doesn't realize it exists and it's right here on the Parquet campus in our basement 
and um, it's a really, really nice area. And you were talking earlier about your staff, and boy, how do you have a dynamo? Yeah, she's great. Maggie. That out. Yeah, Maggie is fantastic and is. Um, passionate, excited, ready to help folks, and yeah. so um, yes. A, a real gem you would there's a there's a um most folks would probably drive by parkade mall and not give it a second thought and has no idea all the amazing things that are happening in the basement of right. the basement of the parkade mall is where it is at in columbia and who would have ever thought yeah i used to buy fish down there <laughs> Well, if anything, I want to close with this, and that is, you just said something, and it's the idea and the revelation that we hope that all of us within the community are helping to give each other every day, and that is, oh, I can do this. And you said that early on, the first time you um, went to a board meeting, you really had some doubts about your place at the table. I'm going to be quite honest and say, the first time I went to a ready board meeting as a staff person, I was kind of thinking, oh my gosh, um, how did I get here, and um, will I get to stay here? Right. Um, and this is, and I'm no, I'm no spring chicken. So I think we all have those moments throughout life, and I think that one of the great things about our community is the genuineness of the leadership of our community to help each other remember when we're endeavoring into something that we may not be familiar with. Oh, I can do this. The accomplished, impressive people that I run into in Columbia and all of these boards that I serve on, they're also generous people. And so they, they're always uh, very welcoming and they're looking to better themselves and better the people around them. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not an intimidating place once you sit down and realize it. It's really very welcoming. I would completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lashley, for spending a little bit of your busy day with us here today. And we um, love having folks in the community that are just as passionate about it as we at Ready are. And so um, we look forward to all kinds of new and wonderful endeavors from MACC. And for everybody out there, if you have not checked it out lately, um, again, check out the makerspace, look and see what kind of programs. You may not be looking for um, an opportunity for furthering your education, but you never know who you're going to run into that may just need that information that you have now. So thanks everyone for listening in. Again, thank you, Dr. Lashley. Thank you. Appreciate and it. We will see you next time on our next episode of the I Am Ready podcast.